Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Kenya's biggest conversation that's broadcast live every weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. on Spice FM. Hit subscribe for more thought-provoking conversations with your hosts Eric Latif, Ndu Oko and C.T. Muga and who's who of an eclectic mix of guests from the world of politics, policy, business and culture. This is a Situation Room podcast. Enjoy. We have Moshmua Grace Kiptui, who is a former woman rep for Baringo County, joining us in the studio. Good morning, Grace. Good morning and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes. Welcome again to Kenya's Biggest Conversation on this side of 2023. And timely that you've actually come to join us. Because the last time we were speaking, we were talking about what needs to happen in terms of um, making people to see development and what development means. Then we've also talked about the very many things that you raised when you were a member of parliament in, what was that? Was it the 11th parliament? Yes, the 11th It was the 11th parliament mm-hmm. in 2013 to 2017 with regards to empowering communities. Now we are in the midst of the worst drought in a generation in this country. It was declared a national disaster by former President Uhuru Kenyatta in September 2021. We have still um, very many people who are facing starvation 4.5 million people in dire need of relief food and the government is giving updates and saying look we need to think about how to feed more because there are counties that are classified as alarm drought phase these are the counties of kilifi mandera masabit samburu turkana wajia kitui isiolo kajiado and then others are in the alert drought phase. These are Kinagarisa, Lamu, Narok, Tanariva, Makueni, Tarakanithi, your county of Baringo, Laikipia, Meru, Taita Taveta, West Pokot, Nyeri, Kwale. Embu is classified as normal drought phase. Millions of people in dire need of food today. Millions of people needing to be supported and being fed today. Now, the government has been doing relief food. The government has been running an off uh, livestock off-taking program. Hasn't taken off-taken the livestock from everybody in the community. So animals are still dying. People are basically losing livelihoods on a daily basis. What's the way forward? What's the future? Uh, thank you. First of all, uh, let me say I was born in an Asal area. Mm. At this Baringo. And I had you mentioned that county mm-hmm. as one of the hunger-stricken areas of Kenya. I can I can relieve my moments way back in 1965 when there was another worst drought like this one or worse. And I look back and I wonder whether we learn from what experiences that we go through as a country. Mm-hmm. And after learning, what do we do to ensure that the next circle, we are ready for it. Mm. According to me, I think we, we are very sparotic or uh, reactive. And immediately uh, we solve that problem. We don't, we don't continuously ensure that uh, by the time the next circle comes, because mm. we, we have the weather patterns, we know how our country is, we know which parts are uh, you know, prone to, to, to hunger. But what do we do? as a country to ensure that we are ready. Mm. To me, I think the most key problem is 
I don't know whether we have a very good distribution policy of food. Because as you mentioned, those others who are affected, the others who are not affected. Yeah. They are a bit lucky because they are in a, a certain part of the country which is productive. Mm. But how do we move that food from where it is to where it is needed? I think there's a problem there of lack of uh, distribution. Do we actually lack a distribution network? I think so because uh, we should be planning in a manner that uh, we have stores in those areas. Mm. Once we harvest, we ensure that uh, we store it in, in a good way. Mm. And then they are moved to those areas before the drought strikes. And when it strikes, then they are given the food. Mm. So what's saying essentially that we know that these areas are prone to this kind of geographical behavior. We know it in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what if we're being prescriptive about what ought to happen is that because we know what the land looks like. We know what it is likely to produce or not produce. We know that geographically there will be drought at a certain time just because of the area within which this part of Kenya is situated. So there ought to be plans to deal with that time when it comes. Right now, the mitigation efforts are that 4 million people need to be given relief for food in these areas that we've talked about we're not talking about let's plan we're saying that today mm-hmm. thursday they need to eat something today and tomorrow is it sustainable or is it the right way to go you see when we're in the middle of it like now we've got to give them food mm-hmm. and that means concerted effort from everybody civil society non-governmental people other governments we just as it has been declared that conversation needs to be very present. I don't think I hear it or I see people reacting positively to it and moving to give because uh, the, the, the pockets of how to give are not even very clear, you know. So I think for those of, of Kenyans, like now they have harvested, like in September, November, they, you know, they are still even harvesting up to now. Mm. But what is the conversation they are getting? Um, people may have planted potatoes, cabbages, they were even complaining and like if you that it is rotting in the farms. Mm. So why don't we then do it practically? We just tell people this is a problem in our hands and we need to deal with it. And then they are updates every now and then. And encourage the, the population to, to be sensitive to those other people. But then, so there are two things that I'm hearing here. One is in the areas where the regions with high production, they have a problem with glut mm-hmm. at harvest season. The regions of low production, they have a problem of scarcity. Now, we are in an open market society. Our open markets would mean that demand basically just ensures that there is supply mm-hmm. because supply will follow demand. Mm-hmm. Now, if there is demand in the low production areas, why is that demand not being met by supply because there is a source within the same country, in some instances within the same region. I want to believe that uh, you see, when we say demand, it would mean those guys in the low scarcity areas mm. moving to or attracting from the high potential areas. Yes. But then uh, I don't think they are in a position to help themselves at this moment. 
So there is need, for example, if, if uh, people contribute to the, to the hunger or relief, there is need to move that food. And even if it means buying from these others and distributing to the others, uh, so be it. Mm. No, that we're talking about now. Okay, so yeah. right now, because mm. of course of the dire situation that they're in, they don't have the purchasing power. Yeah. But ordinarily, because you say, normally we look, we seem like we don't seem to learn. Every time, every cycle, every harvest season, we have mm. high production, we have food going to waste, and this other side, the Asal areas, they have low production. They're not getting that food. That food basically goes to also it, it goes to waste, to waste. Mm-hmm. why is in the market thinking of okay there's gonna be some need after a couple of months those guys in low production are harvesting now but mm-hmm. their food was you know in low volumes mm-hmm. so they'll need something yeah why why are you saying that what are these things that would be hindering a market from purchasing storing for mm-hmm. future consumption mm-hmm. later i think the problem would be you see, you are considering the purchasing power of those characters in the low production areas. Mm. They are mainly pastoralists and uh, they are set in their ways. The they issues like bananas, avocados, things like that, they, it is not part of them. They don't eat. They don't eat those things. <laughs> I remember there was a time, uh, there was a problem in my county and uh, I, I called ladies mm. to come with whatever they can from the farms. Some brought bananas, others brought... Some brought avocados, a lot of it, because it was a lot. That's mm. what they have. But uh, when we distributed, uh, those people kept it. They, they left it on the floor. The they took the bananas. The they, people in, in Baringo. Yeah. They took they, the bananas, they left the avocado. They left the avocados on the ground. And they said they didn't know what it is. Mm. You know? <laughs> so, um, there is that issue about helping these people learn that you consume whatever there is for survival sake Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also we have we should have a program where uh, i was seeing in the tv a lot of animals dying and why why not slaughter them and store the meat for a rainy season and this is one of the things that we're saying so shouldn't shouldn't this strategy then be at a graduated level because if we look around the country there are those areas many that are currently or looking at, as a result of the rain, looking at glut, the pouring away of milk in some cases, the throwing away of potatoes, animals that are dying, which, like you said, can actually be stored. We, I mean, these are things that we know traditionally, but then now imagine if it's at a graduated level where from the national point of, of view, we are looking at storage capacity of drying meat, which mm-hmm. has been done for centuries. Yeah. Drying meat and then it can be reconstituted later, sold later. Mm-hmm. We're looking at uh, dehydrating milk putting it in powder form Mm -hmm. that can then be bought and used later. Mm -hmm. We're looking at drying potatoes that also can be reconstituted later. Even bananas. Even bananas. Absolutely. Drying them and then hydrating them later for use. Desiccating maize and things like that. Shouldn't this be at a national level? Because it is the same national government today that is looking for relief food to distribute. So you can imagine if it had been stored... So then all you're doing is moving it from storage and then bringing it to the people who are in need at that time. And you don't have to go through the struggle because you already know that this thing is going to happen. Yeah, that is the issue. That lack of concerted effort, that lack of planning, that lack of continuing to do it. It shouldn't be that after 
when they the the, the hunger you know we we stop mm. it should not be we should not stop and those animals we are dying there they should be slaughtered when before before they become yeah yeah whatever and then you store the meat mm. then restock when the rains come yeah they will, they will still multiply mm. and uh, they will be there for them i see social cultural issues just from the example that you've given and the question that I was asking about market and market demand if people from a certain region do not eat certain things you take cabbages they don't eat cabbage they don't eat avocado they don't eat carrots they don't this and those are the areas where they don't grow carrots they don't grow cabbages they don't grow avocados so the people who have the carrots and the cabbages and the avocados will only sell to a small market and then the others will go to waste even if that market i'm not talking about here the market as a system actually bought the carrots and avocados and went and stored them and packed them and dried them there'd be no market because the other side culturally and socially they don't consume them anyway so this is just without a period of drought so in that period when there's no drought the market is not incentivized to actually make sure that they are taking off everything that's being produced in this high production area so come uh, the same thing happening with livestock culturally this person will not sell their cows i have a thousand head of cattle they are fine they're not dying you're coming to tell me oh now we can start buying because you see the national drought management authority and the water meteorological department have started predicting that you know you may not have sufficient rainfall so you can now sell off 30% of your livestock the guy will look at you and tell you why i'll sell and i need to sell so those issues I think also play a big part in why this thing does not move. It becomes an emergency and at that point of emergency even now the government is not distributing dried milk as uh, powdered milk mm-hmm. and canned what it's mm-hmm. distributing what people know. Mahindi, mm-hmm. mchele, But anyway, I think uh, as a government uh, the, the government should should intervene because they have the mandate mm-hmm. to kind of come up with a program and tell these guys within this time these animals are going to die so you better we better have them slaughtered and the meat stored and you will be given you eat them when when the time comes because i i, I also find it that um, the monangi himself they are not responsible for their own well-being <laughs> during my youth at our home my dad would store uh, honey and it should never be touched by anyone unless there is hunger Mm-hmm. They used to collect gumbe kumbe those white ants eh? mm. then they bind them into some paste mix with the honey and keep it there they would keep things like millet you know millet it doesn't have any problem with the doodos and things like that mm. so it is kept in a particular store which nobody touches because they knew there is a rainy there is a time when we'll need it mm. okay meat they would slaughter meat and put it above the fireplace for smoking eh? mm-hmm. and we would not touch it because we know it, it is for that time you know but right now i think we are uh, people are not looking at that mm-hmm. and preparing for it even at a personal level because there is this issue that okay the government will rush in if there is a problem but the government needs to force people to to do certain things for their own will be you know if you look at a traditional society and you've painted a very good picture they are granaries they may not have been huge in size but it was for that very purpose knowing that 
there would be a time when we wouldn't have the food that we have. In fact, uh, historically, this town called Kisumu, Israeli Kisumu with an O, Tusumo meant precisely that among the local community, meaning when you don't have food as a result of drought or whatever problem you have, Tusumo means you go so that you, you can be given food. That is in lieu of butter. But the understanding was that you in turn, should that cycle now work against that other community, they can also come to you. Mm-hmm. So this mitigation against these natural disasters existed traditionally. They were there. They knew. Because these climatic changes and and cycles was understood. Because Mm -hmm. again, here people would drive among the the folk that live around the lake, they would drive their fish. Mm -hmm. That's how it came about. Now, modern, the modern world in which we live in, we are not the only continent where you have pastoralists. You've had pastoralists all over the globe. And there are lessons they have learned because they've also had this, these, these cycles are global. It's not as though Kenya is the only place that has it. And because of science and the understanding of technology, there are ways in which some of these natural disasters can be mitigated against. Because if these areas we speak of as the asal areas and the problems are now becoming perennial, meaning it's like almost every year you have a similar problem in lesser degree, but it's still there now. Surely, what Mashima talks about in terms of slaughtering, it isn't that difficult. You, you don't really even need what you call a fixed abattoir. It can be mobile. I mean, what I'm trying to say is that there are very many ways. And yet, despite the knowledge that we seem to have in this country and research that has been done in those areas and the mitigation that have been suggested, when we have the dire situation we find ourselves in, it means very little of what was suggested and what was planned has been done. That's why we have the same situation recurring and we're having, we're talking about the same thing over as though nothing has ever happened or nothing has ever been proposed to mitigate against it. Mm-hmm. So what's, where is the gap? The gap is that nothing you've said, there is um, a lot of data and information on this. There's a lot of research that Kenyans has been done. Are very there there yes. are many programs that are run by government around these areas. There are many programs that the government says it runs around these programs. They exist. They are even funded. Mm-hmm. And they even have a name. They even mm-hmm. have people who actually look after them. They are people who are in charge. They pay personnel. But when you have the dire situation we find ourselves in, mm. year in, year out, you have to ask, what do these people really do? Beyond talking about what they do. Sure. And let's also acknowledge the fact that in the time that it is happening and that you want to mitigate, it is too late mm. to mitigate at the time of the emergency. And I think that's what we keep saying here, that this drought situation is perennial. You already know, for example, that mm. there will be another stint in 2023. Mm. The geography will tell you that it is going to happen. There are organizations that are set up just to see what the pattern is going to look like and they'll tell you in advance with accuracy that mm-hmm. this is what is going to happen. And so we're saying that if traditionally, historically, that these have been planned for by communities and individuals and families, mm-hmm. we have an example here of honey and uh, termites being yeah, stored yeah, yeah. and fish in the, and meat in the fireplace. Mm-hmm. It's not just you, your father in that area who did it. I'm sure it was everywhere. many it's families did the same thing. It was yep. a communal thing. Mm-hmm. People did it. If communities did it, it was tradition, it was understood. And the question continues to be, mm. if these individuals who understood it passed it on 
in terms of knowledge to generations who who are alive today and find themselves in government as experts people who live in the community why are we not able to replicate the same at a graduated national level i think i'll bring it back to the issue of the community like you said what are citizens doing about it do they have this knowledge was it passed on was it actually taken up by the current generation let's take a break though this is the situation room the only way to start your day from a woman right from Baringo county we are talking about the pain of hunger in the country and she says relief food will not end suffering in asshole areas anytime soon we've got to do more Karone agrees because Karone says if we fuse agriculture, hospitality and food nutrition, it'll be very easy to introduce our communities to new delicacies. Anything cooked well will be embraced. Catering companies should have stalls in the ASK shows. People will learn to eat new meals. We have plenty of food. You agree? Yeah, I agree. And uh, I was also thinking during the break about devolution. Mm. The government is now near governors who are from Masal areas, they should have programs on how to deal with their units mm. called the county as far as those issues are concerned. And having the mandate, you can even mobilize the community, the professionals, the churches, whatever. I mean, if, if to me, I think all what, what, what is missing is a concerted effort and planning. Mm-hmm. Because if there was a, a, a way where our governor would call, for instance, and say, okay, in the next few months, there will be an issue here. We need intervention here. I'm sure Wanaindi are very, very willing yep. to assist their own, for yeah. example. Yeah. But do we do that? Mm. Even mobilizing resources. For example, yeah. Yeah. let's just be direct here. If we look at the way the community of northeastern Kenya mobilizes resources for business, okay? Just take Nairobi as an example. You see, the Somali community in Nairobi is able to quickly mobilize resources and get into business. New business ventures, somebody has a business idea and you talk to them and they tell you, you actually go to the community and you say, I sell, I pitch my business idea. And people say, how much do you need? People put in money and you're able to to start your business. If you think about livestock production, livestock off-taking, the abattoirs that city you're talking about, and the community leadership it would be possible not just for the hunger time and the uh, the drought times but constantly to have a well-structured livestock industry in those counties we're talking about those three counties garissa wajia mandera Uh, some of the leaders some of the community leaders some of them are actually serving as uh, president william ruto's economic advisors own abattoirs in the city Mm-hmm. So they know what it takes to set up an abattoir. They know what it takes to get that abattoir getting livestock for export. So it's it's ideas that they could actually mobilize on. How can you set up an abattoir in my home county of Mandera? So that the community knows where they can send, send food, uh, send their, their, the markets, establishing markets, establishing the abattoirs, getting that meat processed. Meat gets to the Nairobi market already processed or the external market already processed. How very right you are. Because if you look at, say, for instance, the government plans to in, well start off with infrastructure, roads, and then look at how the government is trying to expand uh, the airport facilities within the country. What on earth are we doing having abattoirs only in Nairobi? Mm. There are no cows in Nairobi, apart from the ones we see struggling along, along the road. Mm. <laughs> the places where you actually find the product. They're in the assholes. That's where you should have an abattoir. Mm. Mm. Now, we already have airports in some of the northeastern 
on the northern Isiolo part of the country. has an international airport. It does. Mm. It does have. So this issue of transportation, road network has improved. Mm. Why kill half the cows just by transporting them on some crowded truck mm. when you know full well that this is something that could be done there? See, as you were talking, I was thinking of my neck of the woods mm. and the fish cage farming, which was not just growing but becoming lucrative mm. until the fish started dying. And there's a whole debate around it. Fish were being poisoned. The experts said, you know, lack of oxygen. But then if you look at it, mm. it revolves around the pollution of the lake. Mm-hmm. The fact is around it, industries around it, and what the government has not been doing, yet we have NEMA, to ensure that the lake isn't polluted. Now, that's a consequence. So mm-hmm. an industry that was slowly developing, it isn't as though the Monainchi doesn't have the initiative. The question that was on my mind, even as we were speaking, mm-hmm. Does the Mwanainchi move ahead of the government and do things despite the government or try to find ways of working with the government? I look at something like education mm. and I look at the private sector of education and how it is, again, individual initiatives. The bulk of the new schools we seem to have in the country are not built by the government. Mm. Look at the health sector. It's the same story. Mm-hmm. Now, But the government provided an enabling environment, meaning in the absence of the government willing to license uh, such enterprises, they also wouldn't exist. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what am I saying? We have success stories where the government, through the means it has at its disposal, have worked with the citizenry to actually better the lives of the citizenry. And I'm and I'm thinking this matter that we've been discussing from time immemorial about drought and the problems in some of these semi-arid areas and arid areas, mm. that same effort doesn't seem to exist. It's like the people who are there are left to their own vagaries, to their own issues. Because even this issue of banditry that we keep talking about, do you really think that if an industry, such as the one we are speaking of, like an abattoir and other industries that are peculiar to those particular regions, were actually there and livelihoods could directly be derived, do you really think some of these things that we see would actually exist? They would not. And uh, I think uh, there, is, there is also a lack of support. Eh? Yes. Mm or a nexus between the government and, and, and the citizens. And the citizens. Mm. Because me, I really believe that if, if populations were mobilized, they would do wonders. And they would, that support needs to, to, to be seen, even at the level of... You remember those guys, they were called what? The agriculture extension officers? Yes, like that. yes, yeah. yes. They, are, they earn salaries, they are existing. But you never see them in the village. Mm. They never come to talk to anyone. They never encourage people to plant A or B. People who used to plant maize and beans, they need to be, you know, encouraged to plant other things, yeah? Mm. Like millets or um, things that can be dried and, and kept. Mm. And also the, to teach them how to store food. Because I think one of the issues is lack of storage. Yep. Mm-hmm. They may work very hard, they harvest, and then it goes to waste. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yet, we, we, we pride ourselves as very learned people in the country and all that. We are able to, to but why is it that we don't, they are not encouraged and they are not assisted? Case in point is, uh, in my youth, I used to hear President Moy all the time taking yellow maize to Gamban. I don't know, but Amuga, you remember. I don't really remember, I've eaten that yellow maize. Yes. It, it, it was called molio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it used to be taken almost every time. But right now, apart from Kitui, where you have mentioned and other, you know, affected mm-hmm. areas, mm-hmm. that community of Ugamban, mm-hmm. they changed. Machakos and Makweni are not on the list. They changed. No, why? They, they, they were encouraged by their leadership, I think, and maybe non-government organizations and things like that, to adopt new ways of uh, feeding themselves. And they plant a lot of legume, uh, fruits. They even feed Nairobi. Maembe and all those things, they call beets and uh, oranges, generally. Yeah. 
and uh, green grams and uh, all those things. You don't you don't take yellow meat. Why is it that uh, we don't mobilize the others? What do we need to do that? Is it changing policy? Policy there's a policy. The there's policy a, is there. We need to just roll a, our hands an and do the job. Pol- policy. There's an entire agriculture sector uh, policy. There are laws. And we have an entire research portfolio called Calro. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who, who support this. So whatever you do is relevant. There, there's no guesswork. They'll tell you this is what works for you here. Yeah, it but exists. there is this disconnect where it's like it's, it is said and never done. Never mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do to get it done? Like you've said, if food and food security is a devolved function now, with agriculture being at the county level. Mm -hmm. So what is it that counties need to do, county governments need to do? Because that's the one basic and most direct thing that you're dealing with with your people on a a daily basis. You come and show them that, you know, I changed it. We used to face periodic starvation and periodic hunger. We have stopped it. People see it. Yeah, even even, uh, organized to us, huh? yep. from, from other areas. Say, those are the areas that them to Makued, let them see. Because that community, I, I really have allowed the community of Okamban. Mm-hmm. They really moved and they took it, you know, with yep. a stride. Yep. And they have changed that that, that uh, relief kind of uh, situation. Mwishimua, let's look at the county you come from. Mm-hmm. They've had similar problems for a long time. Yeah. In the time, okay, you've been in politics, you've what have you seen that has been done that could have changed the livelihoods of people there in the same way as you've been saying about uh Kambani? Very little. See, it's what they used to do when mm. I was young is what they still do up to now mm. in the rural areas. Mm. But uh, of late, they have been encouraged to plant fruits, for example, mangoes and things, but not to the extent that can guarantee them, uh, you know, food. But has there, is, you know how sometimes you do something and then the result of it, you say, I say, okay, this is good. Has there been any learning and saying from the, the fruit planting now, because we know that there are some uh, mangoes, mm-hmm. for example, that have come out of parts of Baringo mm-hmm. and things like this. Has the result, of, okay, if, if we plant something different, we can see the result and it is good. So then let us multiply uh, this. Has there been any kind of learning from that? And I mean, yeah, I, Truly, because the, the the treasure that rests in organizations like Calro mm-hmm. is huge and not being used at the Ministry of Agriculture, where there's strategy that is already in place to have some of these things happen, that you can see that a community of people who never used to plant, would never have a mango orchard in the middle of Baringo, for example, mm-hmm. but you see that you can harvest and this fruit can do something. Mm-hmm. Even if you do not consume it, you can sell it and you get something then you can buy which you will consume, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So have we seen that people have said, look, guys, this is what you can do. This is the result and this is the benefit. Let's do more of it. You see, what I see is an individual initiative, yeah? Mm-hmm. One farmer comes, you know, he's been exposed. He plants those uh, mangoes, for instance. Mm-hmm. Then the other say, oh God, you mean it can it happen? Can happen. Mm. And they, they multiply, they, they do it, they adopt. Mm. So what, what is missing is, is practical issues here. Mm. And the, the governors, because now agriculture is devolved, every governor, wherever you are, look at what is good for your people. And then you, you improve on it mm. and expose them to other, other new, new crops and other ways of, of survival. And you see, like the judges, for instance, mm-hmm. it's a non-governmental organization. Mm-hmm. These pastors, priests and bishops, they have these people every week yeah. in the church. <laughs> every week, and they are not coerced, they come by themselves. Yeah. And they sit there, even if he preaches until poor. 
they wouldn't believe. How come we don't use those kind of networks to be involved in the life of the communities and show them, like now, let them plant the kale and dry them for a dry season. Mm. Let them, you know, why why can the church, for instance, have departments of, you know, touching the lives of these guys? The way they have schools, for example. From Monday, to, to Saturday, they are on their own. They come on Sunday, you tell them the Bible says, and they go. Mm. And they take, you take a little of what they bring to you, and that's it. Why is it that they are not involved in the daily, day-to-day basis? Because long time, I used to see colonial missionaries. They would make sure that they have involved the community in planting maybe groundnuts, yeah. anything that was good for that region. They would show them that it can come from here. But it has stopped. I don't see that kind of activity going. Because the the church is extremely influential. Very. And they are one of the few institutions whose edicts are not really questioned. Mm. The church says, people say it's okay. Yeah. They, they, they have said. You know, as you're speaking, I was thinking of how then do you get people to see? Because change is easy when the benefit can be seen. Mm-hmm. And so the example you spoke of, somebody starting it off or piloting it. Mm. It's usually been the best way yeah. of doing it. So why can that count the government even have a demonstration farm or something? And by the way, again, Caldro and all these government institutions that do these things will be at your disposal if you ask them to come over and, uh, and assist. Mm. It, is, it just takes a phone call away. Mm. Yes. Or a visit. They're looking for those opportunities. That's what they are actually mandated to do. Mm. So yes. now the issue is, why aren't we moving? Why, why, is, why aren't we being practical? Mushmua, you, you tell us because... <laughs> I think yes. one of the issues... You, you, have, you have been an elected leader, so you One know. of the issues mm. and th- things that may discourage even the general population from contributing to this could be the fact that we've had stories of even the relief food being taken away and used for. Mm. For the wrong things maybe even the money yeah. that comes for that purpose is diverted mm. probably and then people get discouraged so it's a business corruption could, be, could be at the center of it that is why uh, it doesn't move push, forward pushing mm. people towards that point of you can write the budget you, say, and you indicate the budget this is for mobilization of one india blah blah and that it doesn't happen it doesn't happen maybe that could be the reason like <laughs> <laughs> i mean it sounds like it to me as well because here we are looking at a situation whereby people are dying look people have become so desperate that it is food in your belly that you're searching for we're not talking about even trying to live a luxurious life or even trying to no food to eat one meal a day even i try something something to put in the belly to stop you from dying from malnutrition children nine hundred and sixty thousand is what we're looking at Mm -hmm. so it's for me if you look at it as a a a, a normal functioning human being and look at this situation and say okay wait a minute there are things in place that we can use to mitigate this situation but we don't do them just because it the only answer for me is that there's something that's stopping you from doing this thing which you ought to do and there must be of some it must be of some benefit to you for this situation to continue but it is true do but yeah, as you know Mashimeo has given us a clear pointer you know we keep talking about the perennial corrosive self-interest that we see in many political leaders that's it now and those who are in positions of leadership because somehow in this country people in those positions want to be wealthy but they don't just want to be wealthy they want to become billionaires it's no longer millionaire billionaire mm. Now, to do that, and you don't have a viable business that has value, it means you're going to focus on government coffers and anything that comes to the government and which is intended to help the livelihood of the Monenchi. Mm. That will be your target. That's what you're going to focus on. Without realizing that, you know what? 
if everybody is surviving, if everybody is thriving, they present an opportunity for, for you to also thrive. No, a bigger opportunity. Isn't no, it? no, no, it's yeah. an opportunity. It's a much bigger opportunity. Exactly. Yes. And so here you are saying, what well, without realizing the, the contribution you are making to more people dying. So for me, it's criminal. Mm-hmm. For me, and, it's actually uh, criminal. It mm. is. And you see, there's a book I read. There's a Moe's book written by Morgan. Andrew Morton. Andrew Morton, yes. Page 45. In there, they're describing a situation in which happened in Baringo in 1928 that people had starved so much that it took like a, a week or two weeks to feed a, a single man on his feet to be able to, to do a day's mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And there is a statement that at around that time, they dispatched 1,000 porters carrying food to the starving tokens. In 1928? Yeah, from, from Eldoret through Tambach to Baringo. Mm-hmm. Then I look at 1928 and now. We have not been able... <laughs> sure. We have not been able to sort out that issue of our bed. Almost 100 years. 96 years. <laughs> Almost 100 years. 100 years. Yeah. And those were colonial masters. Mm. They had their own interests, of course, but we have been independent for about 60 years. Hmm? I'm almost the age the age of, of, of Kenya. Kenya. Hmm. I'm about to be a senior citizen and uh, I age as a grandmother. And the thing has not been sorted, <laughs> sincerely. <laughs> yeah. No, we need and, to keep And more counties question. are getting are into the bracket. Into this. Yeah. And yeah. agriculture is devolved. Is devolved. Mm-hmm. So it means the people who live there, who've experienced the very things we are saying, are actually have the money to, they are in charge and they have the money to actually change. Yeah, some governors are my age. So, yeah. so and they, they have seen this thing. Yeah, well, we keep we need to keep asking these questions and raising these points. Thank you very much, Chris, for joining us today. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure uh, having you on the show. And Let us pray that uh, whatever we have said will sink into some conscience of some Kenyan oh, yes. who, will, who will move it forward. Oh, yes. Thank you. How about that? You made it to the end of today's podcast. You clearly ooze stamina. Guess what? Just hit subscribe at Standard Media Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our podcasts drop daily. From me and the team, catch you next time. Bye-bye.